0: Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 through 8 these are the words of Christ beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners for your father knows what you need before you ask him you may be seated let's uh, take a moment to reflect on God's word It really is a pleasure to be here with you this morning and uh, you know we've been sitting in the book of Colossians for 30 40 years it feels like I mean we've just been going through the book of Colossians and uh, I don't know about you but I, I feel like uh, like I'm just this crooked line that's being held up to the ruler you know like I'll try my best to draw as straight a line as I can and then we hold it up to the ruler of God's word you know that straight line I go you know what Gosh, I am just so screwed up. And so uh, what we thought is, you know, well, uh, during this little two week uh, break, um, we're going to take some time since we're in the middle of Lent, which is kind of the season historically in the church where you prepare for Easter. So this time of reflection and meditation where you think about your own personal life with the Lord. And we're going to take some time out and we're going to talk about prayer and fasting. And uh, so fasting will be next week. Prayer is this week. So come hungry next week to, to, the service. Um, and today, what I, uh, what I hope to show you about prayer is that prayer is really, it's nothing more than just continuing a conversation with God that God has already begun in his word. Uh, this is what John Calvin says about prayer. He says, prayer is the highest, greatest, and best exercise of faith. And it's the way we get the highest and greatest things God has for us. That's kind of my prayer phrase. He says, we dig up by prayer the treasures that were pointed out to us by the Lord's gospel, which our eyes have looked upon in faith. So prayer is the way that we we, we take out the shovel and we unearth the treasure, the riches, the jewels that God has for us in the Christian life and our walk with him. So obviously prayer is this uh, immensely, immensely important thing. This is what uh, John Chrysostom um, uh, said. He was an a, a old bishop in uh, Constantinople a long time ago. They called him the golden mouth because he was such a popular preacher. And he said such beautiful things that people would j- just flock uh, to see him and crowd the cathedrals. He said, prayer is an all-efficient panoply. What a great word. A treasure undiminished, a mine which is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by the clouds. It's a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. And it's really the only means we have for doing what we were created to do, which is to know, glorify, and enjoy God. So we have to learn how to pray. It's immensely important. And so the Bible teaches us that naturally we're not very good at prayer. Our hearts, according to the Bible, are naturally uh, what the Bible calls hearts of stone. And you know what what a stone is like. uh, It's hard. It lacks feeling. (laughs) It lacks sensitivity. It resists change. And it's cold to the things of God. That's what our hearts are like, naturally. So how do you change a stone? How do you turn it into something useful? So when Sean and I were dating, she lived in Asheville. And I would uh, drive up to Asheville, and you'd see these, these massive mountains kind of on the horizon as you got there. So I'd be driving up to Asheville. And then there's this, this part in I-40, uh, when you're coming into Asheville, uh, from the east... Where there's just these solid walls of granite up on either side. Just these solid walls of stone. And you go, how did, how did they take that stone, this hard, immovable stuff, and turn it into something that could actually be useful to people? Other than just to look at, which is fine. But makes it hard to see the girl that you like. So, um, if I, I want to get through there. I want to go see her. So, I'm so glad they, they built a road in the middle of that stone. So, how would they do it? Did they just chip Away, uh, week by week, little by little, 150,000 years. No, what they did is they they drilled deep down into the heart of the stone and they planted explosives, dynamite, and they blasted it apart. Prayer is the means by which God drills deep down into the stone of your heart and plants the dynamite of his word and spirit, and he transforms your life. Put another way, when the spirit of God moves into your life to change you, it's, or to change another person, uh, when the spirit of God moves in power, it, it's like a train, like a freight train, and it's running on two tracks. And, and, and you know, wherever the two tracks are, that's where the train goes. And these two tracks, it, I mean, you can't separate them. They run side by side. And this is what happens when the Spirit of God, the freight train, moves into your life. It runs on the two tracks of the Word of God and prayer. If you want to see where the Spirit's moving, you go, where's the Word of God going? Where's... That's the preparation. The Word of God and prayer. So we're going to look at what the Word of God has to say uh, for prayer We must learn to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching about religious activities. So right before, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, his famous, famous sermon that he's praying to people who are are coming to him and and they're going, how do we live the life that God has designed for us? And Jesus is saying, well, there's a lot of different opinions out there. And let me tell you the the way some people do it out there. Don't do it like (laughs) that. Do it the way I tell you to do it. There's a way that comes natural to man to do religious activity. And Jesus is saying, don't be fooled by that. Listen to me. This is the path of life. So first, Jesus, uh, just a little bit um, ahead of this, uh, Jesus talks about giving to the needy. So exercising uh, charity, uh, giving to the poor. And uh, and now he's he's kind of. Stepping it up a notch uh, from another, even deeper, more primary religious activity, uh, the deepest part of our spiritual life, what we're like when we sit before God in prayer. And what Jesus is saying to us is the same thing that he says in chapter 1 of verse 6 um, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Beware. Watch out. <laughs> Be careful, be on guard, because we're so easily fooled. We believe lies so easily. What Jesus is saying here is, is we can get tricked. We can read this passage, and, and even in our activity in trying to understand the Word of God, we can be tricked. We can read this passage and think that it's not really talking about us. That, you know, when you read it over to yourself, you, you might be thinking, oh, I know people like that. I know weirdos like that that just stand outside and pray for everyone to listen to them. There's real, uh, just uh, real, uh, really dramatic hypocrites. Oh, I know a couple people like that in my own life. But this, this problem that Jesus is talking about here is something that a deeper and subtle It's something in our hearts, and it's so universal that it includes every human being. No matter where you are or how you relate to God, if you're a believer, a doubter, or a seeker, we're all in the same boat when it comes to this. Jesus is talking about the deceptive powers of sin in the human hearts. And he's saying that sin is so pervasive, it is so deceptive, that even when we're trying to do the highest and most holy things... Available to us in the Christian life, even when we enter the very presence of God, sin is right there with us, trying to trick us, trying to trap us. We can't escape it on our own. And in fact, sin doesn't just follow you into the presence of God. It's really only when you're in the presence of God that you really realize your problem, that you really see how sinful you are. And so what Jesus uh, gives us here in this passage is really uh, two contrasting ways to pray. The first part, he's going to tell us how not to pray. And uh, he's going to talk about the the object of our attention and the content of our conversation in wrong prayer. So the first part is going to be wrong prayer, how not to pray. And then, hopefully, time permitting, if Jesus doesn't come back before then, we're going to talk about how Jesus says to pray. So let's look at how not to pray first. This is verses uh, five and six. First, Jesus is talking about how sin distorts the object of our attention when we come to God to pray. This is what uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, an old preacher in London, uh, says. And I was so lost on how to preach this to you until i read what he said because it was so helpful to me so anything good in here is is probably just from david martin loin jones uh, he says sin is so terrible that it sometimes produce, produces this result that when we try to tell ourselves we're worshiping god when we come together to worship god when we sit with god in prayer when we tell ourselves i'm, I'm doing what i'm supposed to be doing as a christian we're actually doing nothing more than worshiping ourselves. And so Jesus paints this picture of someone deluded like that. And basically what he says is he paints this picture and he says, don't be that guy. So we had this phrase. I don't think people use it anymore because phrases go out of style really quickly. But we were in college and high school. We would say things like, Hey, don't be that guy. Hey, you don't wear the t-shirt of the band whose concert you're going to see when you go to the concert, don't, don't be that guy. Or my roommate and I, uh, we both played guitar. And sometimes in college, you know, on a day like today, when we get kind of sunny, you might see a guy go out and sit in the quad and just, you know, break out the old acoustic guitar and start strumming some songs. And then every now and then soon... Some ladies might come by and go, oh, hey, can I listen to you play guitar? And he, oh, sure. I'm just playing, you know. So he'd be out there playing guitar and we'd walk by and we'd go, oh, dude, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy who just takes your guitar out and goes, oh, just sunny day. I think I'll just play uh, just here enjoying the day and playing just to myself, really. But really, who are you playing for? You're playing for the girls, man. Don't do that. Don't be that guy. That's what we would say to each other. And so Jesus is saying, "Don't be that guy." Now, something tells us uh, uh, who the hypocrites' audience really is. Is it's where they stand. You know, everyone can see them, right? So it's almost like Jesus is saying, you know, people pray in the temple, on the, in church, you know, when, God, when people gather together. But these guys, they, they're, they are so holy, they can't even wait to get to church. And in fact, they can't just stand on uh, one street because there's not enough people to see them there. They're going to stand at a, a corner of two streets because then you have people coming from both directions. And you stop and you go, you know what? the spirits upon me. I can't even get to church. I got to pray right now. I'm lifting my hands up. And then they just start praying and people walk by and go, get a load of that guy. He's, he's really doing some praying, you know, and, and we think that's, that's this exaggerated image, but I'll tell you in my own heart, I see this all the time. This is a real danger for people in ministry because essentially what my job is is trying to be righteous in front of other people. (laughs) I mean, just today I've prayed in front of you like four different times and will again. And the danger for me is that after the service, you're going to come up to me and you're going to, oh, brother, that prayer blessed me. Thank you. And in my heart, because it is tainted with sin, this is what happens. I go, yes. (laughs) Oh, they like me. Oh, they were helped by me. And what's a good thing with a good desire to want to help people and show them God just gets twisted in on itself and distorted. So please don't tell me that you were blessed by my prayer at the end of the service. Um, Just leave that to God. Now, the problem with what the hypocrite is doing is that he's taking something that should be private and personal and he's making it public. And today, uh, we're totally familiar with this because there's whole industries devoted to making public what really should remain private. Family vacations, gifts that you get from your loved ones, new haircuts, new outfits, what we have and what we do. I mean, who really cares about your new haircut? <laughs> but let's, let's show the whole world. I mean, I'm, this is just to call myself out. I made a hashtag for my nachos that I would eat because I just thought they looked so good. I would go to C street grill and I was like, man, I got to tell my friends from college about these nachos. They'll be so impressed. So I wrote uh hashtag today's nachos. That was the, that was the thing. And I was, and then afterwards I thought after about five or six nachos posts, I was like, they all, first of all, they all look the same. So, you know, no newsflash there. And second of all, who cares? I mean, who cares about the nachos I ate? It's it's just—it's pointless, right? You're you're chasing after an audience. But what about this? This is a more subtle thing that we do. Instagram a picture. Your journal's open. Your Bible. You got a good cup of coffee right there. Great quiet time today. Great message from the Lord today. Write down the scripture. What are you doing? If we're honest with ourselves, you're taking something that's personal and you're making it public. And when you get the 20 likes, when someone asks you about the uh, the passage that you read, Jesus is saying, yeah, you've received your reward. That's what you sought and that's what you've gotten. Oh, Lord, give us wisdom. Or in those moments when we do pray in public because the Lord commands us. I mean, don't neglect meeting together. Pray in public. It's good for us to get together and worship the Lord. Let's say you're in high school. Let's say you're in middle school. Let's say you're in college. Let's say you're you're, you're older, as some of us are. And, and there's someone in the room that you care about. There's someone in the room that, that, that you really like. And that's a good thing. That's a great and beautiful thing. And when you pray out loud, you go, oh. I hope I don't sound dumb. I hope they listen to me. I hope they hear me. I would, ta- I would come to church, and this still happens sometimes. I'm coming to church, sitting next to my wife, and I'm trying to focus on the Lord. And my mind is going, there's a girl next to you. There's a pretty girl next to you. And I'm going, stop. I don't want to think about that. I want to think about Jesus. But you see how prone we are to distraction? Maybe that's just me. It's, pro- it's probably not y'all. But lest we become a Pharisee about Pharisees, we have to admit we are easily distracted. So that's uh, see we see how sin distorts the object of our attention. Now let's look at the content of our conversation. We've already seen the first mistake we can make is to have our interest and our focus on ourselves. Either we're focused in ourselves, or we want other people to be focused in on ourselves. To be more interested in something other than God. And what that is, to have the object of your devotion, the object of your uh, um, interest, be something other than God. That's called idolatry. So that's the first error. And the second error that is really easy to make is to feel like our prayers are only going to work if we pray really long or pray really hard or pray with just the right frame of mind, just the right emotion Just the right kind of Christian pauses for emphasis (laughs) in the right places or use just the right words. This is what Jesus says. He says, the problem is when you heap up empty phrases, these people think they will be heard because of their many words on account of the words they speak. Like there's something powerful in the words themselves. Now, uh, just like today, we we, we see this often. There's a lot of people who advocate kind of repeating certain prayers. I'm not talking about doing things like we're doing with with the Lord's Prayer. where We're just trying to reflect on the words of Jesus. Uh, We're talking about thinking that there's power in using specific words or phrases. You guys remember this book, right? The Prayer of Jabez a while ago. And maybe some of us have it. Maybe some of us have read it. I read it when I was in high school. And I tried to pray it. And you know what happened? Nothing. Time passed. And so this is what it says. The the author says, uh, I want to teach you how to pray a daring prayer that God always answers. I want to introduce you to the amazing truths in Jabez's prayer for the blessing and prepare you to expect God's astounding answers. Listen to this. Just repeat this prayer every day for 30 days. To which I would say, to which I would say. Why 30? Why not 50? Why not 100? Why not pray it four times a day for 30 days? Because, uh, it, you know, if the power's in the prayer itself, let's just pray it more. Where am I, How am I supposed to stand when I pray it? Where am I supposed to sit? Am I supposed to face a certain direction? Am I supposed to be wearing a certain kind of clothes? Do you see what an empty view of God this brings about? And that's a really silly example, but uh, this self-centeredness comes in a more subtle way too. especially think about this when we don't get the thing that we're praying for you know what you know this happens you pray to god for something you ask god to answer a prayer and then it seems like the prayer goes unanswered and you think to yourself do you not did i do something wrong did i not pray enough maybe i should have prayed more Maybe I should have used different words. I mean, it's so tragic because there's things that happen in the world through God's providence. And uh, you think there's something that you can do to maybe uh, change God's mind. Or something that you can do to make him look at you and pay attention to the, the suffering that you're going through. And you see what that view of prayer is saying. It's saying you know, I don't think God really cares about me. I think I have to make him pay attention to me. I think I have to do something to make make, make sure he listens to me. And, and if, if I don't think he is, oh, what's wrong with me? Do you see what a tragedy that is? Oh, Lord, help us. I think this is the most graphic example of this in Scripture. Uh, It's in 1 Kings. It's the story of Elijah and the priests of Baal. So Elijah is, uh, basically there's this showdown between Elijah, who's God's prophet. He's God's representative on earth. And there's the priests of Baal, who are the representatives for this false, violent God. And basically there's a showdown. And we're just going to, basically Elijah says, we're going to see which God's the real God. So they get together and they get on Mount Carmel. And this is what he says. Elijah says, you will call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by bringing down fire on this sacrifice, he's the real God. And the priests of Baal go, sweet, all right, let's go. And uh, so it says the Baals, they took the sacrifice that was given to them, the, the Baal priests, and they prepared it, and then they called upon the name of Baal. How long? From morning until noon. And they said, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And so it says, then they limped around the altar that they had made. And then at noon, Elijah mocked them. Do you know what God does in the Bible to false gods? And this this is kind of a little bit offensive to our, our modern ears. God mocks them. He laughs at them. What God was doing in the Exodus with the plague of the frogs and the plague of hail and the the plague of the death of the firstborn. He was taking the gods of the Egyptians and he was mocking them. He was saying, you believe in this frog God. You believe in this God that gives health to all your children. You believe in this God that controls the weather and the Nile. Well, guess what? They don't control them. I do. I'm going to mock them. I'm going to ridicule them. I'm going to humiliate these false gods. And so this is what Elijah does. He starts really making fun of these priests. And you kind of want to go, man, Elijah, give him a break, right? But no, he just keeps mocking them. And listen, this is what he says. Hey, cry a little louder. Yeah, I mean, he's a God, right? Either he's amusing, either he's just kind of, you know, maybe he's just like reading a book or something, or he's relieving himself. That's what it says in the Bible. It says that maybe maybe your God's just, uh, you know, taking a break. Or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and he must be awakened. So just just cry a little louder. Maybe you'll wake him up. Listen to what the priests do when their God doesn't answer them. This is what happens to us when we trust in our efforts. It says they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them and as midday passed they raved on until the time of the offering but there was no voice no one answered no one paid them any attention we heap up empty words we're just we're cutting ourselves we're thinking that if we if we, if we really make it hurt this time if we if we really if we really put some pain into it some effort into it surely God will listen no 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 This is the story of all man-made religion. And you see glimpses of this all over the place. Man-made religion says, if I do X, Y, and Z, God will love me, God will hear me, God will bless me. The focus is in ourselves, our words, and even our sincerity. Think about this. Have you given yourself to the Lord with your whole heart? I know God heard my prayer because I really prayed it this time. And to see what you're doing, the focus is on yourself. Even our own emotional sincerity can become this idol. So let's cut to the chase. If we're honest, we see ourselves here somewhere. And I think that's Jesus's point. He wants us to know how futile and foolish and short-sighted it is to approach him in the natural way. Look at the reward it gets him. The hypocrite. Wow! Look, you got the praise of all the people. Everyone saw you. They patted you on the back. That you got all that. Man, people even donated to your ministry. Uh, People, you know, uh, you've got a a lot of uh, following on Twitter. I mean, look at that. You've got all of that. You get all that, but but that's all you get. They get acclaim. They get the high fives. At the end of the day, when it's all used up, they're hungry again. And that's the way it always is when we worship idols. We thrive on the approval of others. You get that test grade. You upgrade your phone to the new model. And after a few hours or days or months, the buzz wears off. And you're empty again. That's so tragic. For these people, there's, there's nothing left for them. They've already received their reward. So brothers and sisters, what are we going to do? We got to learn how to pray. <laughs> Praise the Lord that Jesus tells us the right way to pray. Here we go. And I'm just going to focus this as quickly as I can. And really, you can just read the whole Bible. You can read the Psalms. You can read the Lord's Prayer. And, and, and it'll elaborate and kind of build on this. Go to Ken Morgan's uh, class on Psalms. Which is ending today, so too late. But talk to Ken Morgan. He's a master at prayer. But this is the heart of what Jesus is talking about when he talks about prayer. This is how to pray. We come to the true God, we come in faith, and we come in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you'll notice, this is the exact polar opposite of the way that the hypocrite prays. First, we come to God, we come to the real God, we come to the true God. And to come to him, we have to cut out distractions because we worship a God who is invisible. That's what the Bible says. And in his wisdom, God has given us eyes and he's given us ears and he's put us in a culture that is full of distractions. And in the midst of all this stimuli, God says, focus on me. What am I going to use my eyes, my ears? No, no focus on me. Have you ever tried to have a conversation with someone? I'm, I think I'm just speaking to the men right now. When you're in a restaurant with the big TV screens, and for me, the worst thing, and I'm not even a sports person, but the top 10 plays on sports Center, I'm just, I want to see what cool things people did. And so I'm looking on the screens and I'm sitting there in the restaurant and it's so hard to have a conversation with a person that's right in front of you. God is saying to us, I know that you live in a crowded restaurant with huge TV screens blaring at you. That's the world that we live in. And God is saying, I want you to have a conversation with me. I want you to to be with me. I want you to get time with me. So we got to focus in. Jesus understands this. He knows what it's like to be distracted. Uh, he knows what it's like to have eyes and ears and people around him demanding for his time. So what Jesus would do is he would run away. He would retreat. He'd go to be alone with God. And what he's saying here, if necessary, go to the most secret, secluded place you have. In, in our house, it's, that, that room is called the bathroom. We have a very small place and sometimes that's not even that secluded. And so go to a room that has a lock on the door. And if you have little children that can open the locks on the doors, then just, you know, bolt the door or put something in front of it. But Jesus is saying, go and be alone with God. Jesus went to a mountaintop in the book of Acts, Peter's praying on a rooftop, just go where you can get alone. For some of us, like I said, we have kids, we have roommates, you might even have a sibling that you share a room with. And you go, I'm, I'm with them all the time. They're always in my space. Go for a walk. You know, f- find a time. And, and know that this isn't so much about uh, physical, you know, solitude and loneliness, although that helps. But again, it's about our attention, it's about our focus. On God. I mean, it can totally be profitable to pray silently as we do uh, homework or housework or as we walk to class. But really, that's no substitute for genuine time alone. A conversation in a crowded restaurant is not a conversation at a quiet restaurant with with a candlelit dinner. It's just not the same. So whatever you have to do, whatever it costs you, to get alone with God. Do it, please. I beg of you. So when are you going to make time to pray this week? What do you need to cut out of your schedule to make room for this? And, and think about this. Who do you need to ask to help you make it happen? You're not supposed to do this on your own. You might need to pray alone, but you might not get there on your own. So we're supposed to come to God. Not come to other people, but come to God. And when we come to God, we come to the one true God in faith, in Jesus' name. And you might be saying, where is that in this text? And I'll tell you, listen to this. Don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father. In the Bible, when we come to God... He's saying, come in faith. Jesus is saying to people who are not naturally children of God, who don't naturally respond to him, he's saying, he's your father. And so what we're doing in the Bible, when we exercise faith, is we're believing what Jesus says is true. Faith in the Bible isn't the opposite of doubt. Faith in the Bible is the opposite of works. So when you come to God in faith, it doesn't mean that you come with all your questions answered. It means that you come to God. And, and, and you don't come trying to prove something to him. It's the opposite of working and earning. It's trusting in someone else's work, not your own. So the question is, what are you putting your trust in and what are you relying on? If not your own efforts, your own record, your own reputation, you put your faith in the name of Jesus, his record, his reputation, his perfect life and his perfect death that covers and clothes your imperfect life when you go before God. Let me tell you what I mean briefly. Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 18. Don't turn to it. Just hear the story. There's two people who come to pray. Jesus is telling this story to people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. One was a religious guy. One memorized a lot of Bible verses. One was a leader in his church and the other guy was a tax collector. He was a degenerate. He was a sinner. He was kind of gross. And it says the Pharisee standing by himself prayed like this. God, I thank you. I am not like other men. Extortioners, people who are unjust, people who are adulterers, even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of everything I get. I give 10% of all my money. But the tax collector standing far off. Listen to this. Listen to how he prays. He stood far away. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, which means forgiven, restored into right standing with God rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Why did that tax collector go home justified? On what basis? I mean, the Pharisee gives a pretty good resume. He gives the amount of money he's supposed to get. Uh, you know, he's not an adulterer. Um, what else does he do? I mean, he's so, uh, he's so good. Uh, he fasts. Oh, he's, he's, he's amazing. This guy's a fantastic guy. And he's putting his resume before God. And what does the tax collector bring up? His resume is one line. I'm a sinner. Uh, how long have you been a sinner? I've been a sinner my whole life. Currently employed as a sinner. And, and Jesus says that's the resume that pleases God. When you come before God in repentance, in poverty, that poverty is of the heart is the starting place of true prayer. How full of mercy must a God be who can totally forgive the sins and listen to the prayers of people who just have one job on their resume. And that's sinner, professional sinner. How wealthy in mercy and forgiveness must God be? I mean, it boggles the mind. Paul uh our pastor Paul uh, sent me a text message yesterday with a picture of a statue in the airport in India. And it's one of uh, the many, many gods that they have there. It's a picture of the, the elephant God. Um, and uh, it's a little altar there in the airport for people to burn incense and give gifts and pray for the stuff. I think we probably pray for in airports, traveling mercies, health and safety, etc. But just after he sent the picture, he sent me another text. And it said, please tell people about Jesus. And I imagine what he was thinking when he sent that text was, I'm looking at these people walking up to this statue. A God who is not real. Who cannot help them. Who cannot save them. Who cannot make their lives better. And it's a dead end. Would you please tell people about Jesus? Who can save? Who does hear your prayers? Who can help you? So that's what I'm trying to do this morning. There is no other way to God than through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. The Bible says Jesus is our our mediator, our great high priest in Ephesians, it says through Christ, we have access to the father by one spirit. He has made the way for us to approach God, to speak to God, to meet with God. And he has promised never to leave or forsake us. He's promised to fight for us, to conform us to his image. Jesus is saying our father isn't like those other gods. You don't have to trick Him. You don't have to inform Him of everything you need. He already knows what you need because he's real. And he's here and he sees and he hears you. So because he's real, because he sees, because he knows, cry out to him about what you need. When we come to the true God in faith, in the name of Jesus, what are we supposed to do? Unburden your heart. Speak to him about what you need. He already knows what you need more than you do. We have like this much idea of what we need and he knows he sees it all. So Unburden your heart before God. And that requires us to ask the question, which is a, really a brilliant question What do you really need? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need comfort? Do you need companionship? Do you just need help? Do you need patience? Do you need humility? Do you need conviction? Bring your needs before God. Talk to him. He's your father. He cares for you. If you want examples of what this kind of language looks like, I mean, just read the Psalms. It's people praying from their hearts to God, crying out to him. That Psalm I read earlier. says, God, you you know my suffering. You, you, You keep my tears in your book. You keep them in your little bottle. They're so precious to you. The things that concern you, the things that grieve you, the things that hurt you, God knows. Would you speak to him? Would you cry out to him? Would you come to the true God in faith in the name of Jesus? Not trusting in your own record, not trusting in your own words, but trusting in his record to save you and to bring you to God. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father in heaven. Lord, you know what we need, and there are so many needs in this room. Father, we don't even know what we need in our own hearts, but Lord, you do. And so, Father, I pray that you would meet us at the place of our need. Lord, would your light shine in the place of our darkness? Lord, would you give us confidence to boldly approach the throne of grace? And Lord, uh, we know that we are prone to wander. Would you uh, fix our eyes on you? Would you give us the ability to uh, pay attention to you? To pay attention to your word, to look at what you're doing, to be fascinated with you and not with all the flashy, loud things of this world.